Welcome to season two of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. You can find out more about me by going to retaildoc.com, where you'll find out I'm one of the foremost experts on brick and mortar retailing. Every week, I invite guests, vendors, and brick and mortar retailers to share their successes and their innovations to make the shopping experience fun. I believe we can change the world by those who are working in shopping and retail, so let's get to our first guest. Thank you for joining me on the second season of Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast. Today, my guest is Nick Molnar, CEO of Afterpay and co-founder. In just four years, he has grown an idea into a $2 billion powerhouse. And today he talks about some of the challenges he had doing that, also his experience working in a jewelry store and the difference between millennial shopping habits. I know you'll want to take notes. Welcome, Nick Molnar, CEO of Afterpay, the guy who in just four years grew an idea into a $2 billion business. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, well, I am, uh, I am not a millennial, so I don't even know what Afterpay is. So for our listeners out there that may not know, uh, who are you and what do you have to do with retail? Yeah, of course. So, uh, so my background is from retail. My family was in jewellery. Uh, I, I sold the most jewellery on eBay in Australia out of my bedroom when I for university. So my accent is um, Australian if it's difficult to understand. <laughs> and um, we founded Afterpay about three and a half, four years ago. Um, I built it with my neighbour and within three years, we've taken the company public, listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and process a quarter of online fashion in Australia. We launched here about six months ago in the US and already have over a thousand retailers live and half a million customers. So growing really fast. Oh, and right. And, and how old are you again, Nick? Just tw- 28 for another three weeks. So now everybody hates you entirely and you have a new, and not <laughs> no, only that. You... I'm nice. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're nice because we met just this week and we're already doing a podcast so uh, I really appreciate that you know the 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 thing that so many entrepreneurs always want to say is you know what was the bug what did you see the opportunity you were selling jewelry and then suddenly you said I think I'm going to found this great idea I mean well actually w- before we get to that would you explain the concept of afterpay I think I I had said to you it sounds like a reverse layaway program yeah yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you're buying an item online or in store for $100, instead of paying $100, the customer pays four payments of $25 every two weeks. We pay the retailer next day and we take all of the risk. So it's our responsibility to recover money from the customer on the due dates in the future. And you know the reason why it works is millennials just have this aversion towards a line of credit. They prefer to spend their own money and use debit cards. You know, it's not widely spoken about, but in the U.S., two out of three people aged 18 to 30 actually don't own a credit card. They use debit cards. So this is their form of budgeting and how, you know, they want to spread their payments. Well, and I think it also uh, the thing that makes it so unique is it also taps into the I want it now uh, mode. And let's face it, this is a these are intelligent people, you know, millennials. I was thinking about this the other day, uh, Nick. Your generation, you know, kind of grew up 
with the Harry Potter phenomenon that everybody was reading. I mean, yep. you were really intelligent and grasping all this knowledge. So when I hear these ideas, I just think about the background that you have is pretty deep. So why not think that you can do it? And when you see that market, that two out of three don't have a credit card, I think something like a third also don't um, don't have driver's license, but they budget their cash, right? That's yep. the big thing. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they spend money different to uh, to any previous generation, which is fascinating. I mean, I turned 18 when the global financial crisis 2008 recession happened. And, you know, that's what really was the defining moment that transformed how millennials spend their money. But I, I think you're right. I think we have some incredibly positive attributes as a millennial cohort. We tend to somehow get a pretty bad rap. Um, but hopefully when you dig down into the detail, you'll see that millennials do act differently. And a lot of it's driven just by the kind of world dynamics that we grew up in. That's because it's all powered by avocado toast, my friend. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, you know, one thing that, uh, that you upended the entire financial uh, structure of most retailers. And, um, you know, one thing you and I were chatting about is the big difference is credit card companies make money if you don't pay. And yet you don't charge them for this reverse layaway service, correct? Yeah. So when you think about, you know, how a traditional line of credit works, um, the credit industry makes money when someone goes late and the longer they're late, the more money that they make. So like the revolving cycle starts. So, you know, the credit industry is built off profiting from misbehavior, not good behavior. We've flipped it on its head where we charge the retailer a small fee instead of charging the consumer. So from the customer's perspective, it's a free service and the retail is prepared to pay because they want to provide the customer with a great product and they want to sell more and build a better relationship with them. So it has really kind of flipped it all on its head and the whole core you know, premise of that is trust. Absolutely. Well, and I think the other thing that's kind of interesting with you is the people come to the app to decide to buy. So you have kind of inserted yourself into this trusted place that every retailer that we saw at NRF uh, this week was trying to get in some way because they're still operating as a transaction, whereas you've developed this relationship so that they come to the app first to see who takes Afterpay. But even then, if somebody doesn't, um, if you're on a website, they can see it as well. Is that correct? Yeah, ex exactly. So, you know, from our own perspective, I mean, who would have thought that a payment product could build this kind of cult-like consumer movement? Um, there's a group on Facebook called We Love Afterpay. It's got a quarter of a million members. And wow. the, the product's turned into a marketing channel. I mean, our retailers look at us as a, as a partner um, from a, you know, new customer perspective, not as a payment solution. And if you go to you know, Urban Outfitters or Kylie Cosmetics or Steve Madden, Revolve, you know, any of these brands, under the price, it'll actually say $100 or four payments of $25 by Afterpay. So, you know, the retailers really use it as a conversion tool. Well, I think that's great. And I think you make a, a marvelous product. But I also, you're such an engaging uh, young guy. I just want to find out more about you. So um, you work in the jewelry business and... Yeah. Um, how did you come up with the idea? What was that moment that you said, you know, there might be something here? Because I know you didn't start off having this one idea, right? It kind of evolved over time. What was the need and how did you, how did you get going with it? 
Yeah, so for me, I mean, the jewellery industry is very challenging online. Like, I think our conversion rates were less than 1%. It was kind of 0.8, 0.9 of a percent. So there was always this conversion challenge that we were always trying to solve. And then what ended up happening was, you know, when I went to university, people were just spending money on debit cards. People just spent money differently. And, you know, I kind of found it really fascinating that the world had shifted, but no one was really talking about you know, this new way of, of transacting. And so, you know, I think coming and growing up around retail my whole life and then learning about this generational shift in payment behaviour, there was just this aha moment that came together where I just thought, you know, maybe you can make layaway cool. You know, if you can give the customer the product up front, allow a millennial to spread their payment, um, I think it might drive this kind of, almost borderline illogical reaction and um it's just gone it's just it's been amazing so you know that it's just a combination of right place mm. right time right age and um and just a deep well i know background. an awful lot of retailers listen to my podcast and and they sometimes have trouble making paint to, uh, to vendors you know there's comes those lean months where you're like oh my gosh well i can't imagine what your lean months must have looked like because you're going through and you are having to not only um, get these new people into the app, but more importantly, you are paying top dollar back to these retailers. And then you're saying, oh, I'll get that money back. So that float is all on your back, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, that's the whole thing. It all starts through trust. I mean, we, a Anthony and I started by personally lending our own money. You know, we were fronting up the money to the retailers. Um, we didn't expect to grow as quickly as we did. So in the blink of an eye, we were fronting up a very substantial amount of money to, to our retail partners, um, which led us to list the company on the Australian Stock Exchange. But, you know, the whole premise of the business is saying, you know, there's a stranger that I don't know and I'm going to trust <laughs> you to pay me back. And um, that, that's really interesting and I think has amazing dynamics to it. I mean, when you think about these key new age you know, engagement pieces or, um, you know, things that you use in your life, they've all started from a, a shift in paradigm of what's right. I mean, when you look at Uber as an example, it's also all built on trust. When you get in an Uber, it's like you're doing something that you were told as a child to never do. It's like, don't get in a car with a stranger and let, let alone get in a car with a stranger and eat their <laughs> lollies, you know, but then, but then you do it once and you're like, hey, technology enabled me to do something really incredible and I, I can't see myself doing it any other way. And I think that's the whole premise of Afterpay. I mean, from a retailer's perspective, we're saying we'll front the money. We've, you know, we've got your back. And from a customer's perspective, we're saying we trust you and we want you to pay us back on time because if you don't, we, we lose out because we've paid the retail. Yeah, I think your, uh, your group that follows you is... is, is uh really amazing i think i was chatting with you and also uh long-time listeners know about uh, melanie tillett's in the uk and how um, she found that online was really such a big deal in fact found women who would never post pictures online of themselves now did it regularly in their um clothes that they bought because they feel such a brand connection so i think you know that's the key for our out there listening I have to take that out for the people who are out there listening the the goal is what is that trust element 
And I think so many brands think, oh, well, our, our customers trust us. But really what they have been in, been, I think, forced to do is into a transactional business. You know, they're like a, a secret lover, like, hey, I'll come to your store and buy this with my 20% off coupon. But I'm open to the next guy down the way who's willing to uh, give me a buy one, get one free. And, and so all of these little trust moments um, are all being destroyed. Uh, at the brand level, yeah. like, uh, you know, the big bo big boys, without naming them all, have um, kind of become this transaction where they're always begging, please, please come to me. And you've offended it by saying, hey, no, 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 no. We, the trust is going to be that we're going to give you the money and you are going to be able to, because of their fears of spending, right? They don't want a credit card. They're, they've seen what it did to their parents. They've seen what it did to their college uh, debt and all of those kind of things. So again, it's a smart choice that you're writing, which I think again is is so cool. And again, another reason I don't think millennials deserve the bad rap they get. You guys are the hopeful ones. You're planning yeah. ahead. I think that I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. And you know this this uh, kind of cycle of discounting that we that we're in at the moment is a dangerous one. I mean, part of our benefit is that we can help people maximize full price transactions because there's kind of a perceived discount when someone's using Afterpay. And you know, I heard someone at NRF put it so eloquently. He said that you know when you're driving that twenty dollar coupon as you reference, you're buying volume, but you're not getting a consumer to buy your purpose. Mm. And I thought that, that was so well point. put. Yeah, and. Um, when you look at these new age brands, whether it's Everlane or Third Love or Kylie Jenner's beauty business, you know, they're, they're very human in how they, how they engage. And it's kind of not human to engage on social like a human, but they do it really, really well. And people then buy into their purpose and it creates a, a real relationship with their I consumer. would agree in, in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Ted Baker fan. I just love their product. I love the stores, the people, and all of all of those things. And I think, uh, I think I was telling you about Hammett Bags. He was also on the podcast. My first guest, Tony Drockton. And you have this passionate following that say, "I'm your girl." You know, I'm. And, yeah. And it's different. This isn't based on Instagram and likes and all that. This is actually based on real customers. That's what. That's all that matters to me. Is I don't give a damn if you gave me a like. You actually gave me money. And so you have the yeah. most valuable information anywhere. Why American Express or someone hasn't bought you yet, I don't know. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the, the really amazing thing is that you've got a lot of these brands that are kind of curating product with that relationship. So to take another skew at your question, you know, you look at, a lot of these beauty brands, the consumer is actually helping decide what they produce next. And that's what creates this people power movement. We've just happened to do that from a payment landscape perspective. Um, I mean, we're the second largest traffic driver behind Google now in Australia. It's pretty amazing. Um, and we never anticipated that that wow. would happen. But even in the US, we're sending you know, a few million leads out to our retailers each month. Um, it's a marketing channel. It's not a payment yeah. product. And is it... You must have the demographics. Is it definitely uh, the millennials? You're under 33 because a boomer would use credit cards. Is that generally it, or? Yeah. So, like our early adopting customer is that kind of 20 to 28 year old. Um, however, our average age now is 33. 
So what you are finding is that millennials are influencing the older generation to say, hey, maybe you should consider spending money differently. And once someone uses Afterpay once and they realize that Afterpay is aligned with them, you know, we're not trying to profit from them going late. Um, that's where this incredible relationship and, you know, affiliation. Yeah, great. Um, what do you think the best advice you ever received was? Poor. Um, well, the last kind of four years have just been full of exponential growth. Um, and, you know, my co-founder would always say to me, dare yourself to be brave. And if you're not coming into work every day and feeling challenged, then, you know, you probably got to push yourself a little bit harder. And so, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who, you know, will do it part time, um, who might be building a business while they've got another job. It's very difficult to do that. You kind of have to be all in or, or not in. And it's difficult to walk or, walk away from a stable paycheck. But I think if you believe in something, you've really got oh to go gosh, for it. Oh my gosh, that is so true. I did the same thing. I was uh, trying to think I could be retail doc and then I'd get consulting gigs. People would say, like, oh, can't you stay on? And I kind of did it and I stayed with this one for golly, I want to say nine years. And at like the seven year part, I was thinking this isn't good. And then you reach that moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I have not been doing what I really wanted to do because I was so worried and uh, fearful of the future instead of saying, I know I'm going to do well. And once that switches, and that's the same thing for our listeners, you know, I get it. My gosh, if I hear one more podcast on hustle and do your day job and then <laughs> hustle at night and, you know, it yep. just isn't realistic because your mind really needs to focus on one and say, that's what I'm going to go for. And that's what's going to drive me. And more importantly, I'm going to be able to um, build my self image up from what I'm doing there instead of feeling like I'm a fraud at one or the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep, completely. And, and, it, and it goes a level deeper, which is like, you know, within Afterpay, we've got 350 people who have taken a risk moved away from secure jobs to believe in a purpose and build something special and so i think the right work environment creates that entrepreneurialism so there's different there's different levels of the spectrum you know you can either go out and be a full-blown entrepreneur or you can get that entrepreneurial spirit through the right mm. job but you're still there people still take a risk yeah. you know they're still they're um they're believing in it and they're giving Absolutely. it a go. well speaking of risk you decided to have a child and uh your uh child is what three weeks old now Four weeks tomorrow. You can't, I'm still counting days, I think. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to be, he's two and a quarter. <laughs> oh, she, sorry. She, come on. Whoops, come on, Bob. Sorry. I can't even read my own notes, my friend. What the hell? So uh, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, because it sounds like you're on the ride of, of your life, um, or you lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Um, I mean, the key for me is just building and surrounding yourself with an incredible team um you know you need the right group of people that go through every every difficult decision with you and everyone's got each other's back you know i think there's sometimes it's difficult to be present when you have so much going on but if you have the right people around you and you're all jointly you know in the detail and making decisions together um that's generally my you know my fallback if i'm having a hard time or trying to figure out a difficult decision it's just getting getting the people around me who I know I can lean on and, and the right outcome generally mm, prevails. Right. No, I like that. I was, uh, I had to rent a car to, to drive up, uh, up here yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I came in and, uh, while I'm waiting for Hertz, I happen to be able to look in the manager's office and he has this big yellow, um, 
sign. It's kind of like uh, like you'd get if you were if you were at a conference and they had these long signs like at the UN or something. And it just, it had the Hertz logo on the left, and it just said "Be here now" in all caps. And he had it right by his computer, and I thought that was really quite interesting that the company was saying. It is about being here. You know, it's great to be thinking about other things. Yep. You got distractions, but at the end of the day, nothing works unless you're all here, right? Yeah, and everyone around you that they 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 vibe that, they feel that. You know, if you're in a meeting and you're not present, they it's it's generally written all over very, your face. No, that's very true. Now, when you were in uh, jewelry, uh, what what was the biggest challenge that you think you came into with that? Well, the really interesting thing about the jewelry market is that you're not you're never really comparing apples with apples. You know, it's a very high margin business. It's not the most frequented purchase. So no one really knows what should be the cost of a, you know, blue sapphire gemstone ring in white gold. And so there's this emotional connection that's made with the brand. There's an emotional connection that's made, you know, generally with the time in your life that you're making that purchase, but it's difficult because you know, it's so infrequent. It's so infrequent that it's kind of there's this there's this component to it of is it real and am I getting you know am I not getting right. ripped off? And so the brand that overshadows all of that, gen, you know, genuinely is the the prevailing fact. I mean, the the the, the notion that you should spend three months on your engagement ring was um, a three months of your work salary on your engagement ring was just a marketing campaign to try and give context to. You know, how you think about that moment. Yeah, I like that. I know uh, one of the things I learned when I was working with jewelers, uh, this one jeweler, and he was really great. And he said, um, he's selling a bride's uh, set to uh, this guy or, you know, bridal ring. And he says, now, when you give it to her, don't be an amateur and look down at her hand. Be the pro and look at her eyes. You'll never see that again. <laughs> and I, I, I always that. thought, like, dude, no wonder you had a bomb. No wonder you would. Yeah, I, I mean, just that. such a great idea. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're probably getting no sleep these days. Yeah, not a lot less yeah, than before. I thought I was getting no sleep before. This is yeah, I would think so. So, tell me something good about retail. What is what's something good about retail? Yeah, I mean, look to me, um, there's a lot of amazing things happening at the moment. The really interesting trend, from my perspective, is this concept of you know exclusive drops. And a lot of businesses now, you know, selling out product in a very short time frame and the supply chain that has to mm. go with that. But as you see, kind of influences come through the market and the volume they can push through in a short window of time. Um, that was that's been really fascinating for me. So, you know, th this notion of exclusive drops, I think, has really come about over the past 18 months. And you're seeing more of the bigger brands now start to play in this Absolutely. space. Um, yeah, that, that, that's the most interesting trend from my perspective. Absolutely. Well, even though we're not all uh, under uh, 33, how can they find out more about Afterpay and your great services? For sure. Well, um, if you visit our website, afterpay.com, you'll see our, our directory and just how our product works. And obviously, feel free to reach out to me or anyone else in our team. We'd love to expand our retail partnerships in the U.S. market. So, um, around any time to talk. We're between San Francisco, New York, and all over the U.S. Excellent. Well, you've been a gracious guest today, Nick, and I really appreciate it. And uh, I expect you to have even more success in the coming years ahead, man. Thanks very much, Bob. Thank Thanks you. for having me.
That brings us to the close of another episode of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm Bob Vibbs, your host, known as The Retail Doctor, based in the United States. Tune in next week when we have another set of movers, shakers, influencers, vendors, and -and brick-and-mortar retailers, all there to make you a smarter retailer.